0: Hey, everybody. First of all, apologies to all of those who have been frantically reading our next book club book, Faith After Doubt by Brian McLaren. We're going to have to delay that episode till next time. But today, Nathan and I will be discussing an article entitled, What Christians Hear at Church? The article seems to be trying to answer the question on so many non-Christians' minds these days. What in the world are Christians hearing at their churches that is leading them to act like they are? Because they're not acting like Jesus. I have been searching Welcome to Following the Fire. Thanks for joining us on this journey through the wilderness. Just like Israel followed the pillar of fire and smoke, we want to take a new look at our beliefs and just follow Him. And
1: like Israel, we get it wrong a lot, we get lost a lot, but we're doing our best to to go where God leads us. I'm Nathan. And I'm Steve. Don't you know it's all I have But even on my
0: heart, can't compare with what you're So Noah's really disheartened about school, because you know, we have the county mask mandate now, okay, anywhere yeah. inside. Yeah. And so his school's like grudgingly following it. Cause they're like a very conservative Republican run school. Yeah. And he's like, and, and the school made it like so easy to get a quote unquote exemption. And so like, he's like 20% of the kids are wearing masks. What? And, ha- and half of the teachers are wearing masks.
1: That's crazy. Like you just get a
0: sign, you know, parents yeah, sign up like or something. They, they, the, the email that they sent out was like, Oh, I have to do this thing. You know, it was, it was, it was like so clearly whiny. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, if you want to have an exemption for any reason, you know, they listen to this PDF and you put your kid's name in it and sign it. And it says medical reasons, but they don't specify. Yeah. And it's so clearly like, hey, guys, we got to wait for you to lie,
1: you know? Right. Yeah. And, uh, That's sad. I know because he was wearing a mask when it wasn't mandated by the school. Yeah. And just to see the the blatant disregard. Yep. We're uh we're facing the opposite of that where our company who is a federal contractor has decided to follow the executive order requiring uh, mandatory vaccination and so now it has just brought lots of conversations that we don't that we avoid at work into like <laughs> everyday. So, it's tense. Yeah,
0: we got we got noticed that um our lawyers have told us that we should vaccinate or no job, no testing option, right? But they are, they're getting a, a second opinion because they'd rather do like vaccinate or test. Yeah, but so it's probably it's probably gonna be the same as you guys. Yeah,
1: it's man, it seems like a you know it's something I would have wouldn't have thought much of, but um, I I don't remember a moment like this in my life that no. There's such strong emotion, feeling, opinions, and
0: yeah. No, apparently, the statistics are you can get, be guaranteed to lose about five percent of your workforce, three to five percent, when you when you make a mandate like that. Wow, people, people,
1: yeah, people. It's not people the worst. not looking good for people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's why I'm against people.
0: Oh, man, I get that.
1: Yikes. So that actually kind of ties in a little bit to what I wanted to talk about today, which are these uh, two articles in The New Yorker. Um, We're starting now? I think I'm going to just jump. <laughs> yeah, jump right in. I'm just giving you a hard time. Uh, cause the, so I'm probably going to save this one for last, but but... There's one that's called The Wasting of the Evangelical Mind and something that I thought was really funny slash interesting about that article is it's talking about what has happened to um, Christian intellectualism and it starts out with, you might think that's obvious that of course they're not intellectuals because they believe in these things, which is a opinion that I run into frequently at work and with, you know, friends of mine that aren't, Believers. It's like, of course, you know, you get, you believe all these things, you believe all kinds of crazy stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I've been running into that a lot because at work, the people who are making the most noise are making it pretty clear that they're Christians yeah, and that they're doing it for Christian reasons.
0: So disheartening.
1: And so the, you know, it's one thing to talk to those people about like, wait, what is your religious belief about and what is it and why and you know, how how did that happen? But the people who aren't believers, they're like, yeah, of course, you believe fairy tales. Why would you believe in this thing? Or what, you know, why are you going to be rational? And so it's just brought it even closer to the surface than normal. That I think that clinging on to the idol of individualism and whatever else it is, uh, is going to have really lasting consequences for the mission, the witness of the church because the people who are identifying as Christian are the ones who are have, you know, the highest disregard for, for life right now is what it seems like, but it's, it is disheartening. And I think that we definitely have bigger issues than just our religious divide because I, it seems like that strong uh, emotion goes deeper than, uh, than just that, but it seems like it's in every uh it just seems so deep and strong right now. I like yeah. that that feeling. I subscribe to a kind of like a news source that one of the guys had a good point about uh civil war. And uh it was good to to hear because he was like the, you know more and more people are openly talking about how divided our country is and bringing up terms like civil war and bloodshed. And then he pointed out what our divides are compared to what they have been historically in the U S what, what things do we disagree on? And his point was actually, you know, we're disagreeing on stuff that is normal for us to disagree on. What is happening is we're, we're listening to the people who are saying it's never been worse than this. There's no way to agree with the other people. The other people are evil but the divides are just the same divides that we've always had
0: does it do you think it's the now that we're being told that it's that the bridge cannot be crossed whereas before we assumed it could be
1: yeah i think that the the people who are saying that are the people who get the most attention you know the news about facebook recently that their algorithm promotes the angry reaction five times more than the like reaction mhm so the people who stoke anger are the people who are getting boiling up to the top of our news feeds. And so mm-hmm. it's not necessarily even that that's who we're seeking out, but it, that's who we, we get Yeah, are the people who are riling us up, not saying like, you know, here's the, our commonalities or here is how we can work together. So, and after years of that, now those people are Congress people. Yeah and news anchors and et cetera. So it's not good. Um, But if we were, yeah, if we were able to disconnect from those voices that tell us to be outraged all the time, Mm -hmm. uh, I think that we would, it would feel very different even if we had the same divides that we have right now, but it definitely feels different.
0: Oh, it feels so different, yeah. I think the thing that hits me, that has hit me the most, and uh, is that, uh, as so many people, it's just that how tied in Christians are with all of this stuff. Like, the things that are so clearly and obviously not Christ-like, I mean, you can't even pretend to argue it. it it's just, it's just... Christians are just clamping onto that stuff. And yeah, it's it's kind of honestly both of these articles kind of go hit that in in one way or the
1: other. Right, exactly. The there's one thing cuz you know, this one article the wasting of the evangelical mind. It's in the New Yorker, but it borrows heavily from uh Mark Knoll who who wrote uh an article about this a, a while ago. But what Mark Knoll wrote was that much of what is distinctive about American evangelical uh, belief, American evangelicalism is not essential to Christianity. Yeah.
0: I thought that I found that very interesting.
1: And I think you and I have been discovering this on our own, but it's been a cultural shift for us that the Christianity we were presented, you know, was selective and that the things that we cared the most about or we were taught to care the most about are maybe more on the periphery of, of Orthodox Christian belief or the, or the core of the gospel. Yeah. But they became the most important pieces. And so what is distinctive about American evangelicalism, not what is at the core, but just what makes them different aren't biblical beliefs. They're it's really the American part. It's that we are, extremely individualistic and and that we've maybe moved away from from traditions of christian thought that were more tied into uh intellectual belief and study and and grappling with hard questions and more towards the simpler sermon that you can get fired up about and that is black and white yeah black and white's a lot easier and it's so it's so so weird seeing an article about Christianity in the New Yorker in the first place because these these articles are there not because the New Yorker is like a typically a place for that kind of discourse. Right. It's because Christianity crashed into public life on January 6th and before. And so other people are trying to figure out what is going on. People mm-hmm. like people on the outside and so there are journalists trying to answer this like what well, yeah what is going on on the inside of these churches and so that that's what the that second article is uh also in the new yorker but more recently it, it was what american christians hear at church it's from october by case of separate kep it's it's so interesting it's like reading you know a history book about your family or something it was very interesting to read what I assume is an outside perspective talking about things like what is a sermon? What, you know, why are we studying sermons? And almost from the beginning, there's this assumption that, you know, there's these sermons. Of course, a sermon is at the core of worship for Christians. Yeah. And I was like, oh man, you know, that's true, but man, is that how it should be?
0: Yeah. I I was reading through this and it's the, one of the first things I, I, I highlighted <laughs> yeah. I'm like, uh, he knew this preacher knew that preaching was the core of worship, and that the task fell entirely to the minister, no matter the age or experience. I'm like, but I mean, it is, but should it be? I mean, yeah, that doesn't. It's it, it, that sounds like a very was it post enlightenment thing. Not is that is that right word? I don't. Yeah, enlight, enlightenment that that just. Gaining the knowledge equals worship. I mean, I don't see how you could. I mean, the definition of worship is, is like serving God or praising God, or
1: yeah, and it, well, it's you know, it's kind of the difference between if if you asked a preacher this, they would say no. You know, the the core of worship is something they would give another answer, but that's Lord's why supper. it was in, sure. The, yeah, the Lord's yeah. supper at a Church of Christ for sure, or at a lot of churches but that it's so clear to an outside observer that the most important thing that's happening is this. I think Mm -hmm. that that says something because if you go back to a church, you know, that it really is sermon centric or very, very focused on who is that person giving that message. It can't be anybody. Yeah. What do they say? Do you like it? Do you not like it? Is it, you know, is it, Growing up, that's the thing that I would come home and talk about. Yeah. Whether it was bland or interesting or long or short. And so that places the preacher then at the middle of this thing. So the article opens, like you mentioned, with this young pastor who has just gotten out of seminary and preaches the first 12 or 14 sermons that he had made during school. And then he writes this panicked letter, like, "What do I preach about now? Like, I just preached the <laughs> whole thing, like that's all of it." Yeah. And he writes about this pastor in the in the article. I'm preaching to people who have more experience than me. I'm I'm preaching about what the gospel is, but they've lived life, you know, like their experience is richer than mine. Mm-hmm. Who am I to be saying this stuff to them? And you know, I already told them the gospel. So now what? <laughs> and I, I think in. In many aspects, the way church works now—that we answered that question. The, the answer is, you, know, you just keep going. We don't think about a a preacher, especially where we come from, as someone who has to have a lot of like wisdom as far as life situations, or you know, it's not someone who's retired. Yeah, it's someone who went to seminary. It's it's someone who knows the Bible not necessarily someone who knows life or someone who knows yeah you know we're we're looking for someone to tell us the truth about what the bible says
0: yeah and preferably with lots of energy
1: and interest interestingly yeah definitely tell us the same stories don't don't change don't rock the boat
0: yeah. make it funny make it entertaining
1: and yeah yeah and and so, easy to digest <laughs> yeah you know the and it, it must be hard must be hard to make I mean it's it's economics at this point you know that you figure out what makes people happy what makes people interested yep you know how much is too much and etc but it's definitely a just that very beginning thing that the sermon is the core of of worship i think has is something that many of us grew up with so we don't think about but it is worth questioning that like Why is it the same person, you know, why do we hire one person to do this? Why, why, why does anyone get paid to do this? And if, if we are going to pay someone to devote their life to study, if that's what we think they're doing or devote their life to, to service, then what are we hoping that they're going to do for the body? What kind of people do we hope they're going to be that kind of thing? But anyway, so what the article is really talking about though, is that, is this study that the Pew Research Center has been doing. I think this is really interesting. COVID made way more churches than normal start posting sermons online. Oh, yeah. Makes sense. And so Pew Research has always been interested in what people believe in churches by denomination, by, you know, whatever it is, race, class. But they've, and I remember filling out surveys for Pew in the youth group, you know, what do you know? Believing youth group kids think about church, and they're going to survey other people to draw conclusions about, you know, what's the new generation feel about religion. Well, now that so many more churches are posting online, you don't have to poll people anymore. Like what what's going on? They can just listen to the sermons. Yeah. So Pew has been building um, programs that will use artificial intelligence or machine learning to listen to thousands and thousands of sermons, actually tens of thousands of sermons, just to get a feel for what, what are people hearing? What's different about a sermon from area to area or, or church to church? It's so extremely intriguing to me. And, you know, it's, it kind of reflects this new reality that, you know, not only, are more churches posting online, but more people have more option to just listen to whatever church they want. They don't have to be there, go there, live in that state. So I really loved this. First of all, I'm sure that part of their uh, their demographic that they're, they're trying to show this to at The New Yorker are just people curious about like, what in the world? What is my coworker who's a believer? What, like, what are they filling their head with on Sunday? Yeah, yeah. But what Pew says is, hey, you know what you get at your church, like you know what to expect, you know what the topics are going to be, you know how long it's going to be, but aren't you curious what happens at other places?
0: Yeah, you
1: can visit all kinds of churches. Yeah, so um, I thought this was really interesting. One of the first things that they decided to talk about was length of sermon, which I feel is (laughs) uh, (laughs) like, yeah, you know, if I'm going to visit someone somewhere, that's that's like the first thing that I would want to know. So
0: yeah. Before you go into the numbers, what is your ideal length of sermon?
1: If you had, if you could make the rules. Oh man. Well, I grew up with, you know, the sermon centric experience. So I feel like not only do I have an opinion about that, but I have an opinion about like how many songs is the correct amount of songs. (laughs) How many times should we stand and sit that we've already addressed my problems, but (laughs) that's a good question. I, when it was, like, somewhere where I was, like, used to it and I was there every day, every uh, week, I think 30 minutes is my ideal.
0: 30? Yeah. yeah. But
1: visiting new churches, I'm like, I want five minutes. <laughs> you, I mean, you, you don't want to hear more about them, like, through their sermon? No. I I want to hear five minutes and then songs, communion, and then I want to talk to people at the end. Just distill it down for me, right? Yeah, I don't want to hear what the one person thinks. I don't care what that one mm. person thinks. I want to care what like all the people think. See, it, that yeah, that's a good distinction. Cuz I mean th- people
0: I mean people always say like, "Oh, I'm not going there for the preacher or the pastor or whatever," but you do, <laughs> you know, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like if 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 the music or the pastor is not what you can handle every week, Probably not gonna stay around. Because yeah. it like it is such a large part of the service.
1: Those two things, really, I guess, but mostly yeah. the sermon. And this, you know, this is kind of another topic, but the you know, one of my favorite authors recently, Sky Gitani, writes about this and talks about this often that what we have been experiencing in the last couple of decades is a very consumeristic church experience. And mm-hmm. what that means is that the consumers go where they are comfortable or where they are challenged or where they like it or where it's, they like the coffee or the children's programs are adequate. And then by extension, what that means is churches grow that are making consumers happy and churches shrink that are not making consumers happy. Mm -hmm. And so over time, survival of the fittest, what you get are, more churches that make the consumer happy and less churches that,
0: that don't. It kind of sorts itself out.
1: Right. Yeah. So it's, it's one thing to like specifically go to a church because of just that one thing, but on a large scale, you still get growth in the churches who are catering to that. Right. Or who have the best sermons or who have the best, whatever, Uh, because more people will go. So what's your ideal length? I was
0: going to say like 25 max, Yeah, 20 to 25.
1: Yeah. And I've, you know, my, this has happened to every generation, but I remember when I was young, but old enough to be reading about it that, uh, cause I'm a millennial and the two generations above me were writing about how our attention spans are tuned to television. And yep. so we can't handle anything longer than a sitcom That's 30 minutes, right? 25 with the commercial breaks, Yeah, yeah. 22. So, you know, that's what the sermons have to cater to. That's what like schools have to cater to, right? Um, And of course, you know, now I don't know how long a TikTok is. You're the the TikToker. (laughs) Max three minutes. Three minutes. Yeah. So we went from 30 30 minutes uh, down to three minutes. So a factor of 10 uh, attention span. I don't think people are actually as susceptible to that as the older generations are always going to fear, but you wouldn't expect that trend to get better. And for churches to, you know, to um, I'm sure there are some very active TikTok ministries out there (laughs) and I judge them quite a bit, but yeah, you know, but that's going to tend to lend itself of course, towards, the things you can say in 30 minutes or in an hour or in three minutes, whatever it is. Yeah. So the the Pew Research uh, categorizes churches into just four really big groups. And I think that it spends a lot of time defending that because as soon as you hear them, I think everybody's like, I don't like that, you know? Yeah. But the four groups are Catholic, Evangelical Protestants, Mainline Protestants, and Black Protestants. Historically black Protestant churches. Historically black Protestant yeah. churches. Yeah. But I, I think that, you know, growing up Church of Christ, we we were like, there should be five. The fifth one should be the one true church. The one true church. <laughs> <laughs> but there's not very many of us, guys. So there's a lot of Catholics. <laughs> um, and we would definitely fit into evangelical Protestants yep. in this uh, category. And uh, definitely not in any of the other three for sure. So. Yeah. So, I was actually surprised by this because my personal experience of this, of the Catholic Church, is mostly guesses, my experience in Belgium, and then, like, things that I just assume. Yeah. So, Catholic, they don't call them sermons, they call them homilies, are the shortest of the four.
0: Yeah, I was I was surprised by that, too.
1: Yeah. I, I don't know why I thought it would have been longer, but I think I associate formal with long. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And informal with a chat and short. And yeah. so I think of Catholic as more formal, but uh, that's true. But the sermon is actually, and now I'm speaking in ignorance, but maybe my experience in the Anglican church now, the sermon isn't the main point. Yeah. Like there's a lot of other stuff going on that is more central, which is interesting. And it'd, it'd be interesting, you know, the there's a lot of people in the Catholic church politically who are starting to align more with evangelicals in america so apparently sermon length doesn't correlate to that but i thought that was interesting well, i
0: i kind of thought it, i noticed that it it still kind of does in my mind because the the length seems to get lo- it gets longer the more or the less formal the things are like across the board
1: huh yeah yeah so the yeah it's interesting because the longest and I would have guessed this because I have attended black churches before the longest is our black churches yeah 54 minutes 54 minutes on average yeah I, I f- can't remember if I said catholic homilies are 14 minutes on average even though the pope says 10 keep it to 10 guys <laughs> but um that's short it's hard to it's hard to speak for for uh, 10 minutes only yeah black churches are the longest and Average of 54 minutes, but I'm sure that average fluctuates quite a yeah. bit because I, I feel like I've been at some pretty lengthy sermons. But this was interesting that the runner-up, that the word count is similar between those black churches yeah. and the evangelical churches. <laughs> the style of speaking, and then it also said you know music interludes and that kind of thing. There's a completely different preaching style at these black churches. The amount of words is is a little bit more than an evangelical church. I, I thought that was pretty funny.
0: Yeah, I did too. And I thought back, I've not been to uh a lot of black churches or historically black churches and uh before things opened up for the pandemic, I was looking at there's a mostly black church here in town and uh I was looking at their their previous sermons and it the it's a it's a very very different style from like stodgy Church of Christ, right? Right. It's like, it's, it feels very performative. Like, it, like there, there's like, he like sing half of the, half of the stuff. It's, it's, it was fantastic. Don't get me wrong, but, um, yeah. And so the evangelicals were 39 minutes, right? Yeah. which it's not far behind. And I, I didn't realize that, I mean, I looked back at the, some of the sermons from our previous church yeah, and I I always in my head I thought I I, I whenever I preached I'd be like shoot for twenty twenty five minutes. Okay, but most of the sermons at our previous church are like forty forty five minutes long.
1: Wow, like I, I yeah. didn't realize it. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I w- I think I would have guessed shorter, but I also would have guessed that COVID would have made them longer, especially initially because there's not much else happening.
0: They actually got shorter.
1: They did. A lot shorter. Yeah. Interesting. Like okay. 10, 15 minutes long. Yeah, that might be more of a personal thing than, yeah. than a, a national trend, but interesting. It'd be interesting to see things like because this the Pew Research, it's uh it's just analyzing these sermons. I would love to see how much deviation there is. Because what's interesting about, for example, evangelical Protestant churches is there's not a Pope saying that they should be 45 minutes long. There's, you know, nobody is dictating this. It's not scriptural. Mm-hmm. So how many of us have settled into the same pattern that you would find like in every city, it would be very, very similar. And why? Why is it that pattern? Mm-hmm. And, and Sky would, ma- would maybe say, because that's what consumers are looking for, right? Yeah. Because that's what, where the dollars go. But there could be certainly several other, Other answers to that question.
0: Well, I I mean, I I don't want to get hung up on the length too much, but I was just noticing that I found the the actual Pew Research, uh, like the actual, yeah, uh, site, and so Black Protestant fifty four minutes. This is the mean, not the average. I was wrong. Fifty four minutes. Evangelical thirty nine. Mainline twenty five. Catholic fourteen. The average of all sermons is thirty seven. And maybe I'm thinking too much into this, but or sorry, the 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 mean, the median of all sermons, and but evangelicals 39, the median is 37, is so is the evangelical just like the average church that's going to be acceptable to the most people statistically? <laughs> yeah, is it the
1: the most palatable? Right. Is it like the Starbucks the, coffee? Yeah, is it you the know? Starbucks of church? Like it's not. Starbucks is not famous because it's good coffee. Yeah. It's because it's just, you're going to expect the same thing. Then it reminds you of coffee. Yeah. It's everywhere and it reminds you of coffee. (laughs) Yeah, You're like, yeah, I kind of, you know, I remember there being coffee around this. This this is probably coffee. That is an interesting thought.
0: It kind of goes along with what you're saying though. Yeah.
1: And it's certainly the one that's the least tied to tradition. So there's going to be a, it's going to be a mix of more people from different backgrounds, whereas like Catholic or historical black church or mainline have a lot deeper roots and traditions. Mhm. That's interesting. It's like uh, remember when generic brands in stores were a really big deal. Yeah. Like is that what evangelical churches are? <laughs> well, I <laughs> the mean the Kroger brand? <laughs> I I hate You've just, heard of, you know, Eastern Orthodox?
0: Yeah, I mean I hate to dog on evangelical churches in general because I mean there's a wide range of those but I mean, I've been to a a one here in town, really. But all of the ones I see online, they seem to be all doing the same thing. They all kind of have the same songs. The flow is about the same. The length is about the same. And just from an outsider's perspective, they don't seem like they're different at all. They seem like like cookie-cutter
1: churches everywhere. Right. Yeah, and part of what the article is trying to address, I think, was... Like, man, people saw the polling of Christians uh, and how drastically it changed from 2016 to 2020. And so I think part of what drove this article was like, what in the world are they doing in there? Mm-hmm. And to us, I would actually say it's not very surprising, but I think so many people who have been watching the news and reading polls about what Christians believe maybe haven't ever been inside of like a church church. Yeah, And so what you would guess they're hearing about is probably a lot about politics and is probably a lot about whatever these, these polling issues are showing Christians are very different from non believers on. Um, but I think one of the important takeaways for people like us who are Christian is like all of these groups represent very sincere believers who are trying to follow the gospel? Yeah, and I've been slowly putting this together. But after they analyzed length, they started talking about topics, mm-hmm. and what what words come up, and evangelicals what they talk about the most, especially compared to the others, is heaven and hell. Hmm. And in I would have associated that with like what I call hell and brimstone style hellfire preaching. and brimstone, right. Yep. Which is not what I experienced growing up. But yep. the other words that go along with that, that aren't as strong, are salvation and sin. And so that the central, I you know, growing up, the central important thing was to believe the correct thing for salvation so that you can go to heaven. Yep. So growing up, I would have guessed that that was what the sermons are in every kind of church, in every place in the world. But that was what my denomination was focused on. While people reading the same Bible in um, mainline Protestantism were talking much, much more about the poor, about being disciples, about the gospel, and and God's house. So Mm. interesting, Mm -hmm. and so that they would look at us and be like, "Why are you focused on this thing?" Yeah, you know, we're here to to live out the gospel and. This may be placed to the stereotype of the, the long black uh, sermon that was that's performative, but hallelujah is the word that, that gets used. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we don't yeah. have enough hallelujahs. We need more hallelujahs, maybe a little bit less heaven and hell, and a little bit more neighbor.
0: Yeah, yeah. could help out. Definitely. Yeah, what you were saying about the focus on heaven and hell in evangelical versus uh, the poor, et cetera. Kind of ties over to the other article, the waning of the wasting of the evangelical mind. It makes the point that with the evangelical church being so focused on experiences and emo- emotional responses based on heaven and hell, they became less concerned about what happens now because the, even the environment, because it's all going to go away, you know. Because if I focus on heaven and hell, then I don't really need to care about what happens now because. God's going to take care of me when I die anyhow. So then you stop caring so much about the poor guy down the street or the destroying of the Amazon, whatever it is, because it's all going to be renewed in the end. Whereas, Whereas mainline churches, and I don't know enough about the Catholic church, but mainline Protestants and some others focus more on the now and trying to fix
1: things now instead of waiting for things to be fixed. Right. And it, it kind of, um, I was talking today about how, you know, how has our country gotten to this point where we are so divided that school board elections are divisive and where the, the issues that are on television that politicians used to disagree about are now what like neighbors feel equally as strong. when we're talking about news we talk about dopamine and adrenaline and and people using that to fire you up Uh, fear so so that you watch their television show and the television show of evangelical Christian sermons used probably not on purpose but by evolution (laughs) by selection of (laughs) natural selection discusses the ultimate importance of heaven and hell as a way to say like, we're right. We're more right than the other one. If you want to go to heaven, you better come here. Right? Like if that was my grocery store saying that like our, the other grocery stores, apples are going to kill you forever. (laughs) And, in in eternal damnation. I'd be like, maybe I should check out, you know, I should get the right app. I should be careful about what apple I get.
0: Yeah. The stakes have been raised as high as they possibly can get.
1: Right. And so, so it's funny that, you know, saying like how we're different than other people so that you come here, so that you believe the right thing, so that you go to heaven, what that ended up doing is making everything equally important. Mm-hmm. Every issue is a salvation issue because on every issue, there's someone who believes slightly different than us. Yep. Like there's a church that believes 99% the same and and one thing is different. Well, so then that thing's important because we're... <laughs> Were different and it certainly it certainly has influenced how i viewed god how i viewed the gospel and go starting to go to churches where where what is at the center matches a little bit more like what jesus talked about the most yeah has been very uh it's been jarring for me but i guess what i'm you know the research makes sense to me looking back at it and not that, not necessarily that the 14-minute sermon is better or 54-minute or the performative style is better, but it's just interesting to know, again, this is one way for people to see their own culture because it's so hard to do that. Like, oh, yeah. I'm part of the thing. It's not the only way of doing things. I think that's that's one of the things that I think articles like this are helpful for. So then it starts talking about politics, which is, I think, my opinion – I think that's why this article was written was people Probably. have these questions like what, what are they hearing? And so I actually think it was a, I was relieved. So I started talking about issues and in the most recent round of, uh, discussions, um, it said that a, not 4% of sermons, but 4% of congregants during this study are going to hear about abortion at their church, which I, I actually took as a, I, I would guess a believer would, not have guessed that number. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I, most non-believers would probably think like seventy, eighty percent. Yeah,
1: uh, yeah, a big, big number. Big number. And you know that was not true about like presidential elections during the lead up to presidential elections, where two thirds of of congregants would hear about the election. But even then, it kind of said like, but al- but most churches didn't take explicit sides in that. Um, even if there were some churches who were pretty clearly favoring one candidate or over another. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have guessed this, but Catholic priests were the least likely to be political. Hmm. And the reason I wouldn't have guessed that is that white Catholics have been voting very, like their voting record has changed with evangelical Christians in weird directions. It don't make sense hmm. with Catholic teaching or evangelical teaching. Yeah. And I honestly think that that's because there's a lot of Catholics who have started to get their uh like that the authority of the church has been lowered a little bit they don't like you know mm. I don't know about you I know a lot of Catholics for example who don't like the Pope right he's a liberal pope oh okay <laughs> so I think that American Catholics are taking their cues from Fox News just as much as evangelical Christians are so the fact that their priests aren't aren't spouting that isn't very surprising because a lot of, you know, evangelical pastors aren't spouting that either and are, are saying the same thing that they can't compete with 24 hours a day of Fox news when they only have the 45 minutes once a week yeah um, on Sunday. And, and then the black churches mention voting the most, so they don't necessarily align with a candidate, but they are trying to get their congregants to go and vote. Um, and then Uh, This is, this is about the the end of my notes for the article. So um, 40% of congregants heard a sermon that mentioned race racism. So 60% did not. That didn't really surprise me, but what did is again, this Pew research happened specifically because of how many churches are posting sermons online. The reason churches are posting their sermons online is because of the pandemic 80% of congregants somewhere in their sermon once during the study had a mention of the pandemic, which means that 20% of churches just didn't even mention it. (laughs) Who are, and Uh, I want to know like, who are those churches that like are, who are those churches? (laughs) You know, What, what are you talking about that not once do you acknowledge the fact that we are all going through this crazy thing together, that's an opportunity to serve. That's an opportunity to love. That's the reason why we are posting these online. Now That's the reason we're not meeting, you know, it's the reason that we're doing communion differently, whatever it is. Like who are those churches that are, what are they preaching about that, that they are so far connected that they can't like bring it around once to (laughs) It's just insane. I mean, I guess there's different ways
0: of dealing with pandemics, as we're finding out. There's the people who do all the things that they can do, wear masks, wash hands, all that stuff, and then the people who like would rather pretend it didn't exist. Yeah. I was just talking with the kids about, uh, with one, I think it was with my daughter the other day, and she was saying how interesting it is how some TV shows that we've seen just, like, they're making new episodes during the pandemic, but they're not like pretending like nothing's changed, right? Yeah, they can't.
1: They can't like have masks in the episodes, right?
0: Yeah, but then there's some episodes, some shows like like Brooklyn Nine Nine, for example, one of our favorite shows. Uh, they they had this whole thing about the pandemic and they had people wearing masks and they they referenced it a lot and talked about it a lot, and it changed the course of the the, the storyline, all that stuff. I, I, maybe it's the same thing with churches. I
1: don't know. <laughs> yeah.
0: Interesting. It's like, if we don't talk about it, then it's not as bad. Yeah.
1: Does it change your storyline at all? Or, yeah. It matters, of course, what you think that the gospel is, right? Yeah. And if, if the gospel is about believing the correct things and not an action, right? If the gospel is not a calling of the church, but it's just the... The news that you can go to heaven if you believe the right things, then you have no like. Why would you need to yeah. talk about what's going on outside, right?
0: Yeah, and and they, that's something I was going to mention. Is one thing that interested me about this, and it kind of confirmed my experiences a little bit, was the fact that I, you know, having grown up and really had no no really no no other exposure to churches than the Church of Christ, I had always assumed that catholics or mainline protestant churches like methodist or anglican or whatever that they were they were the, they were going to be the ones who are the most anti bible because like the pope is like the antichrist right sure yeah <laughs> and it was always it always seemed to be taught to me that you had the true church that started in 33 AD and then that was the through line all the way till now with Churches of Christ, and then the the Catholic Church was like the the demon that split off way back when in in the third or fourth century or whatever, and they had they like had no respect for a scripture on and on and on, and the Evangelical churches are probably closer to what is the right thing, but not quite because they they don't baptize the right way and they have instruments. So those yeah. two things. But these Protestant guys, you know, the mainline and the Catholics are way out there. But the fact that those two groups, are the, especially the mainline Protestants, are the ones most likely to talk about things that Jesus talked about. <laughs> like helping the poor, taking care of things, taking care of other people. Whereas the evangelical churches are the ones who are, say, like, screw the people here saving souls is all that matters you're right and so it's it's interesting and I, I've noticed that the church we're going to now or that we've been going to it's a United Church of Christ so it's it's considered a mainline Protestant and it's it's a little bit more formal you know but they every single sermon's about loving your neighbor or, or something like that and mm-hmm. by the way the sermons are about 20 minutes long <laughs> and uh, yeah it's it's just I don't know it just, it just hit me how the reality was so backwards from what I thought would be the reality when when I was in a bubble and didn't know anything about it.
1: Right. Yeah. I, I think that's one of the things that's important about uh, visiting other churches or knowing other Christians or even things like this, you know, watching the Pew statistics to see just to be able to see the system that you're in and compare yeah. it to other systems because it's so easy you know we know that if you have never left your county apologies to people it's it's okay if you've never left your county but if you have never left your county your idea about the outside world is just going to be flawed yeah and i know people like this or i know people who have never left their state and so they th- the way that they think about their home is is very much uh like we are in the right spot we have we have the the good traditions. We have the good food. We have the good, Well, it what could be better than the, yeah, the, burger joint be better the than corner. Kansas, you know? <laughs> and, and what, you know, when you leave once and then you leave again, and then you go somewhere else is that like, Oh man, these people do this thing better than us. Yeah. And these several things worse than us. I miss, I miss this when I'm in this other spot, but then you go back and they say you can't go home again because you go back and you're like, Oh, I just ruined my idea that we're the only way of doing things. Yeah. And then you go to a third place and it shatters the other two, you know? Yeah. So if you have grown up in one tradition, especially if you're convinced that we have it all a hundred percent correct, that's what everyone thinks that has only grown up in one tradition and has never had any experience with the outside. They all think that whatever that is. Yeah. And so the, the scary thing, but the, the thing that is going to help you to take a, that next step in maturing your belief or just maturing in life is go see what it's actually like on the other side of the fence, not to see what they do wrong, but to understand yourself a little bit better. And then when you go back, you'll, you'll, it'll, just like when you come back home, it'll, it'll be comf- comforting, it'll feel good, but you'll realize like, oh, this isn't the only way. Yeah. And and you can start to say, like, I wonder why we've never talked about, you know, why don't we mention Amos? You know, or like, <laughs> what's, we've talked a lot about this. What's what's a topic we haven't talked about? It's, it's hard to do that unless you leave the system and come back with a little bit of fresh perspective.
0: Yeah, it's a bit of this. It's a lot of the struggle I think that we have is just being Americans, that our country is so large, you can spend your entire life just visiting places in the USA and not see it all. Sure. You go to Europe and every country is the size of most states or smaller. And uh, you, you are, you don't have a choice, but to see lots of different uh, experiences and cultures and all kinds of things. And it's not that necessarily one has to be better than the other, but even if they're, like I've mentioned before, when we went to Germany or when I visited Germany for the first time, I'm like whoa, these people are living and they're happy and they're they're not miserable, <laughs> but and they're not. None of them are wanting to go to America. <laughs> they may want to go visit, but none of them are wanting to move to America. You know, we have that. It's like it's like a American Tale, the the cartoon. You get this yeah. image in our head that everybody in Europe just wants to go to America because there's no cats there. Yeah, you know, having obviously having. Having good exposure to different cultures is super important. And and then I think you're right. The same thing goes for
1: churches as well. And the other thing that happens in like in Europe is like there are plenty of people who don't leave their small town in Europe, but they they kind of can't avoid the outside world intruding on them. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, not everyone in Europe is traveling all the time. No, but but enough people are traveling that they're going to run into someone who doesn't speak their language quite a bit. Mm-hmm. they're going to run into people who are trying their food for the first time or whatever that is. And you can, you can go a pretty long time in a lot of places in the U S without that happening. And it's, that's going to increasingly be not true. There's going to be, it's going to be hard to be in a ta- you know, small town in America where there's not someone with an origin from somewhere that you're not used to. Or I think that the, very slow direction is going to be towards more of that making its way into the U S just more outside influences, more of the mixed salad than the melting pot stuff. Yeah. But when it's your church, you're going to, you're going to have even less of that because if you live in Paris, people are going to visit you all the time from Mm -hmm. the outside, but in especially evangelical or Protestant churches, you're kind of at the church that, only people like you are going to seek out and go to. Yeah. It's not like you're at the only Catholic church in town, and so any Catholic who moves there is going to go there. You're you're at one of several Protestant churches in town. And so you're already filtering for quite a bit of shared characteristics between people. So, you're not going to be challenged if you're a preacher or an elder or a congregant at that one church all the time because that church was designed on accident to not challenge you or to challenge you the the amount that is not actually challenging (laughs) to make you feel like you're being challenged. Yeah. And that, I know that's kind of a, maybe an exaggeration, but I do think that it's true that like you are in a very selected ecosystem that does not represent the outside world. It doesn't represent your city, probably demographics. It doesn't represent your nation. And it certainly doesn't represent the world of Christianity but it's going to feel like it is the world of Christianity because that's all you've got.
0: Yeah. I was actually talking to one of our listeners this week. Um, he and I set up a zoom call and you know, I, I'll say if, if anybody feels like wants to chat over zoom or whatever, <laughs> I'm at home all day. <laughs> so Hit me up. We'll, we'll chat, but he and I were talking and he grew up going to a church of Christ. He, he didn't really go, go anywhere until college and he went away and like, Learned new stuff, came back, and then then he realized, whoa! Every single sermon is like a sermon that a, that was preached last year at this time. Oh, with weird. like a, with like a different title to the sermon. It's basically rehashing the same sermons over and over and over, just with different titles. Yeah, and when especially when you're there all the time and you never notice it. Well, you don't notice it because you're there all the time. And you think that that's how things are. Yeah. And then um, you you don't see the differences. And preachers have ways of basically preaching the same sermon over, they and making it seem different. Because you say things like, I'm about to say something really controversial right now. <laughs> <laughs> or or stay with me. I was this struck is, with inspiration this week. Yeah. Or, or they say, I had never realized this before. You guys got to hear this. Yeah. Or this is different than you've ever been taught, which, which is maybe slightly different than they were taught last year, the same sermon. <laughs> I mean, sure. Not yeah. everybody does this, but it's That's just funny. so easy to be comfortable in your, in your the place you are. Wherever it is, there are Catholics who are comfortable with 14 minutes and they never want to have anything else. Some of them, the Catholics yeah. are mad that it's not a half hour. Some of them are mad that it's not five <laughs> minutes long. But if all of us don't experience each other a little bit, then I don't know, we're missing a lot. And what does that do to your faith when you just stick in one place all the time?
1: Yeah. And maybe the question is what doesn't it do? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think that's the harder thing. You're exactly right. The the harder thing to notice is what's missing or what you don't talk about. And I, I would say that's the m- most valuable or one of the more valuable things is if I was your only source of sermons, there are hundreds of topics I would never think to talk about. Oh, yeah. So if you if you go somewhere where you have one preaching minister or, or like one head pastor, then it's pretty likely that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's not even about the you're incorrect or that you're doing it wrong. But it's just a weird system that we've set up where we have the one person, usually the one guy that's kind of in charge of that. Yeah. And so of of course there's going to be stuff that you're missing and you'll notice what they talk about, but it's so hard to notice what they don't talk about because it's, it's the void. It's, it's not there.
0: Yeah. I mean, most, most preachers do, unless they're very, very purposeful about getting new experiences and reading books from different directions of things, they're going to, they're going to stick with the things that they're comfortable talking about or the things that super interest them, you know, or complaining about the same experiences that they've had in the past, you know?
1: Yeah. Or their favorite, whatever, or their, yeah. yeah. Um, or even their favorite con- controversial topic or whatever. I, it reminds me, I would, it can, it's uncomfortable too, because you get used to what, is okay to talk about during a sermon. For example, if I heard a preacher say like vote for Susan for school board, I would feel very uncomfortable about that. Yeah. I recently was in a, it was the, you know, Anglican church liturgical calendar based sermons Mm -hmm. were based, uh, the whole worship. And I guess they were celebrating the feast of St. Francis. St. Francis is all about animals and, and nature. And, Not because of a liberal church or anything, but just the whole Anglican Book of Common Prayer was telling churches to talk about taking care of the world, which is, Mm. we have a word for that now called environmentalism. Right. But it was just, you know, let's, we need to pay attention to when we are harming animals and didn't realize it. We need to pay attention to when we can help animals. And then we need to pay attention to when we're harming the earth and don't realize it. And we need to pay attention to how we can help the earth. And I was uh, so uncomfortable. (laughs) Really? So it was so awkward because I was like, you don't talk about that in in a sermon. You know, you don't talk about that at church. Yeah. And so, you know, that was just an example of like, I haven't heard this preached on. This seems wrong. But of course it was not, you know, they weren't reading from the New York Times. They were reading from the Bible. But it didn't seem like a churchy topic, <laughs> no, right? Um, no, because I have, you know, I've grown up accidentally learning what you talk about in that building yeah. and what you don't. And heaven and hell is high on the list, right? Heaven and hell, yes. The Great Commission, yes, but not the, um, yeah, yeah. With um, in the 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 world that
0: where I, I'm. Absorbing now, with uh, all these super liberal pastors and you know progressive theology and all this stuff, I'm running into the the topic a lot of universalism, universal salvation, mm-hmm. and, and there's the thousand you know flavors of that. But I'm noticing that if a if a pastor, or minister, or preacher, or whatever, is kind of more along the lines of a, a universalist, they're not going to even worry about whether or not you're going to go to heaven and hell. Right. It's not even a topic. (laughs) Right. They're going to focus on what you can do now. And those things seem weird to talk about. I think I mentioned this, this church we've been attending has their five-year plan. And part of that plan is to have like vehicle charger ports outside and to, you know, make the, the building, uh, solar powered. I'm like, yeah, the responses that that would get where I grew up. (laughs) Be Like people complaining about you're not, you know, you could use all that money to, you know, send Bibles to the Ukraine or whatever it is to do evangelism. Yeah. And uh, it's, 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 it's weird to be in a places that, that evangelism is not the core part of the entire focus of the church. I mean, shoot, that's that's how I grew up, and that I got, I have a degree in missions. <laughs> so it's, it's it's weird, you know. I, I and I, I'm not sure what to do about it, but I, at this point, I'm, I just feel like I'm in a place where I'm learning a lot of new things. Yeah, and I'm trying to not, you know, pass judgment too quickly on stuff just because I I have I'm very aware that there are things that I have never been exposed to, and I'm trying to let myself be exposed to those things before I start you know,
1: saying whether they're good or bad. Yeah. That's, you know, my or helpful, critical, or unhelpful. My critical muscle is overdeveloped, uh, from m- many, many years of, uh, much too much exercise. And so that's a thing that as I visit churches or, or just other traditions, like the first thing I want to do is like, this is wrong or, mm-hmm this could be better. And I've been trying to remember that I'm kind of the student here. Yeah. And that I got the big stuff wrong, like really wrong. And that helps a lot. So, so that when we, you know, again, when we talk about St. Francis and caring about animals and I'm like, come on, you know, (laughs) um, that I can, first of all, my son thought that was the best thing ever. (laughs) That's great. And the fact that they're just moving through the gospel and then talking the gospel in the Old Testament Mm -hmm. every three years or whatever the cycle is and just talking about what's in it is amazing, including the things about taking care of our neighbor or taking care of our planet. And the, the gospel was written down on purpose and Jesus's ministry was written down on purpose. And I think it's hard for those of us who grew up with this to realize like it's wasn't, it's not a mystery what he came to do. He said it like over and over and over. It's only when you try to turn that into the rules for getting into heaven that it's complicated, but he could have said, here is how to get to heaven. But he didn't. Yeah. And it's not because he was trying to make it hard. What he said was, what's the most important commandment? What should your priorities be? And they were not go to heaven, right? They were they were different yep. different things. And he talked about the kingdom a lot. The yeah. kingdom as a valuable thing that is happening right now. Yeah, and, and it is, can be a part as of. It right weird now. as it feels to say, is
0: it, it, it's it's weird to hear myself thinking how strange it is to hear the ba- about things beyond heaven as the point of christianity i mean you right. it, you like you intellectually know this stuff growing up in probably any church you know that there's more to it than just getting your ticket to heaven um but to hear that as a focus of some something else besides that as the focus you kind of do have to turn down your judgment a bit because at first you know when I, i'm like where it's it's, it's like the uh People, we joke about how people get mad if there's not a altar call or a, an invitation at the end of the, ser- the sermon. Yeah, Yep. I remember one time i i I think I was preaching at a little. I think may I may have I forget what I was preaching at a little country church in Oklahoma or something. I was filling in for somebody, and I just like the sermon didn't have an invitation. It was it wasn't about that. It was like something else, and the, it felt weird to tack on a an invitation at the end. And so I just didn't have one, like a repent and be baptized thing. Yeah. And so I, and I sat down and after the, after the song, like one of the elders got up and he actually, he's like, did the, did an invitation. Added it to the end. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's
1: like, it's gotta be there. (laughs) And I, I probably wasn't invited back. (laughs) Right. That reminds me of, you maybe know this, I'm not meaning any disrespect, but there's a um, well-respected preacher and teacher at the school that we went to who his family motto and the, the vanity license plate on his car was be there. Be there. Which he would tell a story about what that meant. And, it, you know, it's in his family, he even had like a, a sign for it. They do the thumbs up to each other, which yep. means be there, which I took to mean like do what it takes you know, your priority should be to do what it takes to eke out <laughs> whatever, you know, by hook or by crook <laughs> to make it to heaven. Yep. Which uh fills me with sadness and and cringe feelings mm-hmm. when I think about you know, the call to be a I guess a C minus Christian, like, you know, <laughs> Just pass. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just what it takes to pass, you know. These get heavenly degrees or whatever it is. And that reducing the gospel to that, which I, I don't think Jesus, like, if you ask Jesus what the gospel was, it wasn't get to heaven. Jesus says what the gospel is. He says, I have come to preach good news to the poor. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah blind. I'm, I'm rich. Is it yeah. is it good news to the rich too? No. It's bad news to yeah. the rich, it's good news to the poor. Um,
0: but I mean, ask almost any evangelical Christian in in the in the world these days, what's the gospel? Oh, repent and, and
1: believe in in Jesus Christ yeah. so you can go to heaven. Ask have Jesus, and that's not the answer. Heaven. Yeah, no, it's not. And so, by by making that the answer, though, you miss the actual gospel.
0: Yeah, oh, it's ironic.
1: Yeah, hmm. yeah. I wonder what Jesus's vanity license plate would have been. Well, that's good hmm I'm, I'm just gonna go with love how's it, how's it you know, love, love you love <laughs> you <L-U-V-U. laughs> love you or son of man i think it would have been <laughs> i'm rolling with the son of man god number two <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: yeah three. that's good oh, yeah, no, it, the son
1: he's, he's number two <laughs> It's like my favorite restaurant in town is like, you know, the name of the restaurant number two, because they must have another one somewhere. Yeah. It's one of my favorite, favorite things. It's it's, it's often like a Chinese buffet too. Exactly. Yeah. It's like they, they, it's probably a thing that makes sense in another culture that in the US we're like, I want to go to the first one.
0: First Baptist,
1: (laughs) you know, first national bank. I'm not going to second national bank, first national bank number two. Yeah, we've got first Baptist churches around, but then I don't see any like
0: third Baptist or S- second Baptist.
1: Yeah. Hmm. We like the first. <laughs> but Jesus, yeah, it would be last. He'd be like last Baptist. <laughs> 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 That'd be a good one. That's a... Uh, last <laughs> <laughs> <that's> Baptist? <laughs> yeah, we want to be the like way. the first century church. We should be like the last century church. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, that... I think that's an interesting study that, you know, which is like, what would Jesus think the gospel is? And what, you know, he, we wrote it down on purpose. So four times. Yeah. What did he talk about the most? What did he talk about the second most? And why did he focus on that? Because if Pew Research did the sermons of Jesus, would it be heaven, salvation, sin, and heaven? It'd be a lot of kingdom. There'd be a lot of kingdom. Yep. We need a, we need like a Jesus word cloud. Like what 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 things did Jesus say
0: most? I bet that exists,
1: to look that up, that's got to be a thing,
0: right? Yeah, just I mean, like you said, I think that that article was intended to kind of answer the question for the those who are seeing Christianity as kind of this black box of weirdos. Like, what are they? What are they doing in there? You know, because yeah. all cause, because Trump and et cetera. But yeah it's a it it's really given me a lot to think about just as far as the kinds of messages we're hearing and it it clears some things up like i i understand why i I understand why like black historically black churches are saying saying a lot about voting yeah you know and yeah. talking more about politics because it really hits them hard in in a way that us white folks don't really. You know, we don't really feel it like they do.
1: Right. It's really revealing. And it, it's just one way to see the, the, the bigger context for how these things happen and helps you to understand what you grew up with or, or like why you've been taught the things you were taught. And it's all, all brings it back to that pathos, pathos, the, the culture that you're surrounded with. Yeah. That. That you learn, you know, mostly on accident.
0: And uh, I like the the first sentence of the last paragraph says, "But one person's prophecy is another person's
1: apostasy." So true. Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, I wish we could just
1: all get together, Nathan. At the Catholic Church, though, because well, that's what Catholic means, right? For only fourteen minutes. <laughs>
0: Or a ten if they're if they really cared about what the Pope yeah said. if they're listening
1: to the Pope come on
0: it's like the one time I want Catholics to listen to the Pope and they're not
1: <laughs> we agree yeah the one t- true Church has sent delegates to say that the Pope is correct <laughs> oh that's great oh uh, what's in there I'm,
0: I can't do better than that <laughs> <laughs> all right uh, talk to you next week
1: all right. this was good thanks. Bye. All these messages I thought you wanted to hear, but it
0: only takes a whisper. Hey, thanks for listening to Following the Fire. If you'd like to see show notes for this episode, which includes links to everything we mentioned, as well as all the scriptures, head on over to followingthefire.com and just click on this episode. There's also contact information on the website, let us know what you think about the show and if you have any suggestions for future topics. Also, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts if you could. Really helps other folks find the show. And as always, thanks to the fabulous Daniel Wheat for the theme song and the music for the episode. You can find more of his stuff on Apple Music and Spotify. See you later.